welcome to the Big Kids Book Club. A podcast about all things fictional, from middle grade to young adult. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of the Big Kids Book Club. My name is Marcus and I am your host and joining me on the show this week, I have an author of over 15 novels and the UK LA Children's Book of the Year Award winner, Jill Lewis. Welcome to the show. Hello and welcome. Thank you for inviting me along. It's great to be here. (laughs) But no, thank you for for dropping by today. Uh, So what we like to do with all our sort of like new authors that we haven't had on the show before is we like to get to know them a little bit better so if you want to just give us a quick breakdown on sort of like how you became an author your inspirations and a little bit about your journey up to where you are now yeah well it was a bit of a convoluted journey that I've had to come to become an author so when I was very young when I was really tiny about 18 months old or younger I was just absolutely fascinated by anything that crawled or swam or flew I just wanted to have a look at all these little creatures around me so I was absolutely besotted with animals I I always have been ever since then but growing up in primary school I loved stories I loved hearing stories I loved drawing stories I would draw lots of sort of storyboards and comics um but I wasn't very good at writing and reading. Those, those are some things that I actually struggled with. I had loads of ideas that I wanted to get down. And so I got them down in visual form. And then when I went on to secondary school, um, I still struggled <laughs> with my English. And I remember big red marks across my work and thinking that I really wouldn't be allowed to be an author. I thought you had to have, I thought your spelling had to be perfect to be an author. I thought your yeah, handwriting had to be tidy and all these things. Um, And so I followed my other passions, which was science, because somehow science seemed you could distill ideas down into just a few words and bullet points. Um, And I went on to go on to become a vet through my love of animals. And I was a vet for many years and I loved the job. And it brings you into contact with so many interesting people and you meet them and you meet their animals. And I absolutely loved it. Um, But then when I had children of my own, I remember going back to the library with them and pulling out books from the bookshelves and suddenly I was reawakened just to the absolute wonder of books and the journeys you can go on with books and that sharing stories reignited that real passion for telling stories that I'd had when I was sort of you know six seven eight nine but I'd lost Um, and so then I started writing again but it did take about eight years of writing and recrafting and trying to learn the craft before getting a publisher but all my books now have that thread of animals and conservation and our human relationship with the natural world yeah absolutely the the first one i believe was skyhawk was the one that sort of really sort of kicked all the things off i wonder where the inspiration came from that because it's got such a, a beautifully like open-ended sort of setting with the, like the locks and Callum's farm being set in this this grassland and then the story itself like where did that come from well, I've always loved um, the Highlands of Scotland. We've had lots of family holidays camping up there. But the actual inspiration for that story came um, when I, was, I live in Somerset. And I remember going down to our sheds down at the bottom of the garden and a really cold New Year day. And I remember looking at the swallows' nests, thinking, oh, I wonder where the swallows that my children have seen are right now. And I thought, well, whether 
children the same age in Africa looking at these same swallows. And I thought, is there a story that could connect children in different parts of the world through a migrating bird and connect their communities? And I didn't choose the swallow in the end, I chose the osprey because the osprey is such a symbol of conservation. When conservation works well, um, we can bring these birds back. And we went from no ospreys over hundred years ago um, because the Victorians had killed them and taken all their eggs. Then when they returned back in the 1950s, the conservation efforts were so great that now we've got sort of 400, 500 breeding pairs in Britain. It, it's just brilliant. Um, so that was the inspiration for Skyhawk. And interestingly, you feel so connected when you read the story because it's written from Callum's POV. And I wonder, a lot of sort of like middle grades take the sort of like the third person approach and sort of give you that sort of wider spec. But I wonder why you then decide to really have the reader sort of like delve into the mind and the thoughts and the feelings that Callum was experiencing. Yes. And it's when you're writing, I think, and I've found the more books I've written that somehow you just naturally go into whether or not you want your narrator to be first person um, or third person. And I think I'd written so many sort of preparatory pieces for that story in first person, because I'd really wanted to get to know Callum, that somehow I couldn't then transfer it to third person because I was already in his head. But one of the things I love to do when I'm writing is I'll often, because I want to get to know the other characters, I'll write from the first person in some of the other main characters so I can really get to know what they're thinking as well. And then that translates into really knowing those characters um, I love getting to know characters as you're as, when you're writing I feel that's uh, for me character is sort of the most essential thing in a story oh especially this one I mean the the characters between uh, definitely Callum and Iona the the friendship and the way that they their bond drives the plot forward uh, I wonder if that was like based on any like uh, like relationships you had with like a, a very deep bond with a friend or a family member that sort of brought that story to life with a little realism I think there's there's definitely sort of friendships um, in there which have been very strong and very important and not just necessarily friendships between you know um, children the same age but intergenerational ones with grandparents and just people that are really important to you and ones which when you sort of share that as a real love of the natural world that's that's such a strong connection that that you never you know you never forget for the rest of your life really and in my veterinary world I've had the opportunity to have helped um, rehabilitate some of the wild animals that have been brought in and it's just such an incredible moment with let's say a buzzard which has been knocked by a car or something like that to rehabilitate it to get it back to strength to flight strength and then to be able to be the one to go out and just hold it and you know give it back to the sky it's just incredible feeling and when you can share that with somebody it's just amazing. <laughs> Yes. Another amazing thing you tend to do is you blend together both atmosphere, environment and animals all together in this sort of like mixing pot. Uh, all of your stories have very strong themes in that matter. Uh, if it's sort of like Gorilla Dawn and the sort of like the, the African jungles, I'm thinking sort of Sky Dancer and sort of the Moorlands. I wonder if that's inspired by Somerset or even like taking it a little bit like Scarlet Ibis, where suddenly we're actually in sort of like just sort of rural, not rural, sorry, urbanized London in a very different twist. I wonder what comes first, whether it's the sort of like the, the animal slash, I guess it's really the human story behind it or the, the setting, the environment. Oh, that's, that's a really hard question to answer. I think it differs slightly for each book. I think certainly with books like Sky Dancer, which is about the hen harrier and driven grouse shooting and books like Moon Bear, um, about bear bile trade and gorilla dawn. I think the issue sort of or the, the 
that story comes first. So I do lots and lots of research about it. So I have all this information. But the only way you can turn all that information into a story is to sort of find that character who's going to tell you that story, who's going to live that world. Um, and until you find that character, it becomes a story. And it's, it's when you're a writer, it's hard to quite know how you found that character. Um, but I think it's often, for example, with Sky Dancer, um, I wanted to choose Joe because he's a gamekeeper's son. He's right in the middle of the conflict. When you're writing, you have to put your person right in the middle. So they have to think about the issue from all the angles and make that decision. So it's, yeah, it's a, it, writing, there's a little bit of, it feels a little bit of magic in that these characters just walk into your head. <laughs> Well, the magic is definitely present in the latest book, Swan Song. Wow. Uh, I wonder where that came from, because Dylan starts out as just such an angry young man, and the story uh, feels quite tragic, and in some ways it kicks off quite tragically, you know, but it's a story of hope and sort of like growth. But you know, where did Dylan come from, and where did this story sort of start bubbling? Yeah, I, th I think there are lots of threads which sort of, bubbled through it really. Um, I think one of the big reasons or factors I started writing it I think is is my concern for this huge rise in mental health problems in young people and it's it's really concerning and I wanted to sort of draw um, attention to that through the story but also give a sort of hopeful thread as well and especially with so many young people perhaps more so boys but not necessarily Often when children are very, have anxiety problems or they become very depressed, a lot of those symptoms come out as anger and disruption. And, and then people respond to those symptoms instead of trying to look at the underlying cause. You know, if somebody, if somebody was, you know, had broken their leg and they were sort of going, ah, my leg hurts, you wouldn't say, be quiet. You'd sort of go and deal with the leg. Um, so I think it's trying to show that underneath a lot of anger, and frustration there are actually very you know children and young people who need to be listened to and understood as well yeah and the the whole ensemble really was just so nicely done because I saw Dylan and firstly it was the the idea of having this protagonist who is you know how they say you know protagonists should be flawed because then that way they're more realistic well he's so very much <laughs> flawed straight off the bat I mean I remember reading like the first chapter and I just went I don't like this guy <laughs> and I'm going I've got an entire book to read about him so <laughs> I was like, I hope I get to like him. But actually, when you do start scratching beneath the surface, you actually find out actually the reasons why, the, the complexities that are underlying there. But he has such a beautiful cast around him. I'm thinking of like his mum and the way that, you know, she's dealing with this and she's taking it all in her stride. Like she knows she she needs help and she she goes home and they visit granddad and that strange relationship so it's not just about dylan's sort of like family dynamic but the whole thing um i wonder if when we're looking at this you uh, you think about like building an entire world because the whole village did feel very real this little isolated fishing village is it a, an actual place or is it just something from your own mind so the actual fishing village is a mix a mixture um so it's set in wales and my dad grew up on the Gower. And when I was children, we'd always go back and have some holidays there. And he, I must've been about 11 when he bought his dream little boat that he could take out on the estuary. And it was like his caravan really. We'd sort of, he'd, we'd poodle out onto the estuary. He wouldn't go very far. 
um, who'd wait for the tide to go out and we'd be parked on a sandbank. And, and, and for me, it was such a place of peace, really, because suddenly you were there, no people, you just had the sound of the waves and the sea and the seabirds. And so I think that that sort of element of freedom that I wanted to put into the book when Dylan goes out onto the estuary comes from that real place. But in the story, we meet some um, one of the factors of the swans, these hooper swans that come in and hooper swans, as far as I'm aware, tend to be often sort of on the estuaries further up north in um, Wales, which I think there are some now in the Lecher estuary. Um, so part of it was set in my mind in Gower and part of it was set up on some of the estuaries up further in North Wales. So it's a little bit of a mixture. Yes. And the, the, the story progresses on. I don't want to give it too much away because I think people really want to go out and just enjoy this and absorb it. Um, but one thing I do love is, is the way you still manage to get in like a conflict there in the form of Alan Jenkins, who, again, another character who the second I read about him, I'm like, I do not like this man. Like, uh, did you um, did you have trouble sort of like thinking like where to fit in? Because obviously you could almost say that his own you know, his own sort of grow, growing pains, uh, Dylan's, I mean, Dylan's own mm. growing pains are its in itself its own story antagonist. Uh, did you feel, you know, was it difficult to then try and work in a, a human antagonist as well? Um, it wasn't too hard. I, I know quite a few Alan Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not any Alan Jenkins, let's be specific. I'm sure they're very nice Alan Jenkins out there. <laughs> but um, I think there were two reasons why I wanted him. I wanted to show that, so when Dylan does go to the um, to his granddad's village there are a lot of people which have got a lot of sort of preconceived ideas about young people so you know he's sort of it's that kind of oh if there's trouble we know who it is you know that sort of thing you know we all know people like that um so I wanted him to be like that the other reason I wanted to bring in Alan Jenkins is because I think we all know those typical pen pushers that might be in councils or positions of power which really disregard or don't think about the impact of some of the destruction of the natural world. So whether or not it's putting netting over trees um, and over hedgerows, whether or not it's um, concreting over vast sort of, uh, pastures, you know, we really need to stop and think about the impact that has on the future of the planet and for future generations. Um, so yeah, Alan Jenkins was quite easy to write in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I think we all know Alan Jenkins or two, so yeah. <laughs> But uh, it is very much a positive story. It is an upbeat story in the, in the, I guess, the end of it, because you are looking at a story, hopefully, that young people will see themselves in and maybe take away a little bit of, uh, I guess it's a little a personal development or growth to it, which is such a beautiful thing. Um, now, what we'd like to do as well, when we have authors on our show, we talk about the latest book because we're fascinated with it, but we also want to see if we can get any sneak peeks at what's coming up next. So do you have anything in the pipeline at all? Oh, I, I do. So it, I'm thrilled with, with Swan Song um, coming out. In next month, there is a third in the series of Willow Wild Thing, which is a sort of chapter books with Oxford University Press and illustrated by Rebecca Bagley. Beautiful illustrations. And that one's again about swans, actually. I didn't quite realise that I was writing two books about swans. That's um, called Willow Wild Thing and The Shooting Star. And then in April, I've got um, a book coming out with David Fickling Books and it's called A Street Dog Named Puck. 
And it's a bit of a heart song story, this, because it's about dogs. And I absolutely love dogs. And it was written, I was just finishing it, actually, just the beginning of the first lockdown. And we had to put our beautiful, big Murphy, our lovely dog, to sleep. And it was it's a little bit of a sort of heart song to our lovely dog. Um, and it's a story about, it's very anthropomorphised. It's about dogs which are... Um, live on the streets well pup is taken from his boy and he has he joins a misfit um, crew of dogs who live in the city and they help him to survive but all the time pup is trying to find his way back to his boy oh that sounds really good for some reason i've got in my head like oliver and company the like the, the disney film where they got like the, the dogs <laughs> running around on the streets just like living life uh, but yeah that's quite a, quite a busy year then and uh, is there anything sort of further on in the plans at all a few, but um, oh, I won't be allowed to tell you. Oh, hush, hush, yes. There's always a secret or two, and I always just try and see if I can get oh. That's fine. Oh, we have a lot to look forward to. But unfortunately, we've come as forward as we can for this interview. So oh. before we go, uh, we are going to give one of you lovely mm-hmm. listeners a chance of winning a signed copy of Swan Song, that book we've been talking about. Um, if you want to be in with a chance of getting hold of it, just head over to our Twitter at Big Kids Book Club, all one long lovely word. And I want you to give us a quick tweet with the hashtag SwanComp, all one word, SwanComp. Uh, now, in the uh, in Swan Song, Dylan and his granddad spend a lot of time on the boat known as the, the nearest Jane. And I figure this will be something fun we could have as this week's sort of like quiz question. So we want to know in that tweet with hashtag SwanComp, we want to know what you'd call your perfect pleasure barge, your cruise boat, your fishing trawler, whatever kind of boat you want, what would you call your very own boat? Jill, if you had your own boat, what would you call it? Oh, that is difficult. I'll just tell you, Neris Jane was actually the, the name of my dad's boat. Oh, <laughs> so, that's so cute. So that's why I, so that's why I put um, the Neris Jane into the story. Um, but if it was my boat, I think it would have to be after the name name of the bird that I'm so sort of interested in it has to be just called sky dancer even though it's a boat <laughs> that still works you're, you're, you're sailing underneath the skies absolutely uh, I think for what me, about I'm, you what would you choose yeah I'm gonna go pr- quite geeky and I think I'm gonna go for the Nautilus because I'm a big steampunk fan so I'd like to have oh, a steampunk you? boat yes <laughs> So I call mine the Nautilus. Uh, so that's what we call our boats. But what would you want to call your boat? Tell us with the hashtag SwanComp and one lucky listener might get their hands on a signed copy of Swan Song. Sounds good, Jill? Sounds brilliant. I can't wait to see them. Absolutely. And this has been brilliant. But unfortunately, we are at the end of the show. So I'm going to have to say goodbye to you. Oh, well, it's love. thank you very much for having me. It's been brilliant. Thank it you. It has been fantastic. Now, before we do let you go, uh, do you want to just let our lovely listeners know how they can get in touch with you? Maybe some social media or a website? Yes, I've got a contact um, address on my website and also Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter. So um, contact me that way and that'd be great. Fantastic. What's the Twitter handle? It's Jill2 underscores Lewis. Fantastic. There you go, guys. And until next time, we just want to say thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Until then, take care, stay safe, and most importantly, keep on reading. <laughs>